0: Our current sermon series is about the Bible, our Bible, the question book. And a lot of people think of the Bible as the answer book, but we're finding some key questions as we look through the Bible, questions that can lead us uh, to a deeper understanding of God's will for our own lives. And it is questions that will direct us more than answers which come down in a package. Because we are made to question. If we look at the story of Elijah in the Old Testament, there are several questions that emerge that have entered into uh, our conversation. I, I guess you have to be in the church world to hear, are you the troubler of Israel, Elijah? That's what Ahab said or how long do you halt between two positions? That's come into our English usage. But the question we're going to focus on today is this one. What are you doing here, Elijah? Sounds simple enough. Elijah was one of Israel's greatest prophets. Uh, We may not recognize that because he didn't write a book. And the prophets who wrote books are recognized by us. The major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel kind of slips in there. And the minor prophets, which are minor only because the books are shorter. And they're all books in our Bible. But some of the great prophets, and I think Elijah would be considered the greatest prophet in Israel's history, didn't write their prophecies down, but they're known for how they influenced the the nation that God was dealing with, the Israelites that God was calling out to be a people for his name. And Elijah's ministry was marked by a number of miracles that God used to call people's attention to himself. The greatest of these, the culmination was a miracle that was just up there for a moment. The uh, great uh, challenge between Elijah, the lone prophet of God, and 450 professional prophets of the pagan deity Baal, you can read about that in the Elijah uh, chapter in 1 Kings chapter 17 and uh, hear about how they set up the altar and then they prayed and they beat themselves and whipped themselves and did all kinds of things to make the fire come down and the fire didn't come down. But then Elijah in that moment of extreme faith not only built the altar with the sacrifice but poured water on it and made it virtually impossible for it to burn, and then prayed to God, and the fire came down. What a moment of triumph that was. He he was a key figure in Israel's history. Remember David, the great king, followed by Solomon, his son, who also was a great king. The kingdom was at its greatest moment. And this was just about 200 years later, maybe 100 to 150 years later, the eighth king of Israel, Ahab, was a descendant of David and Solomon. By this time, the kingdom was divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and he was the king of the northern kingdom, which was called Israel. Southern kingdom was called Judah. That was a great tragedy that the nation fell in half so quickly that they went their own way and then if you read the story of the kings there were some kings who were relatively good and then there were some that were relatively bad but the one who gets the worst review of all is King Ahab King Ahab had a lot of help in being the worst king and his wife Jezebel was his main helper Jezebel was the wife that came to Ahab in an arranged marriage to bring together two kingdoms, Israel and Tyre. And she was from that pagan nation which worshiped the gods that we know as Baal. Baal just means Lord. It's it's a summary that can be applied to many gods. But Baal worship was a great enemy of Yahweh worship in Israel. And here Ahab married Jezebel, brought Baal worship into his home, into his kingdom. After this great climactic miracle, when the fire came down from heaven, uh, we read in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19 that Ahab told Jezebel, all that Elijah had done. How he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more else if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So he just defeated the 450 priests, prophets of Baal in this dramatic way. And Jezebel stands up and says, I'm gonna get you, you can count on it. And of course, Elijah responded by saying, God was with me before the prophets of Baal and he will be with me before you. No. (laughs) Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. Now, one thing, being in Southern California at this time, we really identify with this passage. This is a dry part of the world. And this was a particularly dry period of time. And uh, they were suffering a three-year extended drought that was very severe. And so he found a broom tree, uh, a place where there was a, a little shade. And he asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. He may have expected to die at that point. He was done, right? Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, get up and eat. Oh no, I thought I was done. He looked and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. Another miracle to keep Elijah alive and to show him that God still had a plan for him. But after he ate, he lay down again and fell asleep. Verse 7 The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat on the journey, or the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank, and then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. We're not told whether this was just the first miraculous feeding or whether. Over the 40 days and 40 nights, there there were constant miracles to feed Elijah. But clearly, God had sent an angel to keep him going through this difficult time, 40 days and 40 nights. A familiar time because we hear about this elsewhere in the Bible, a time of testing. And verse 9, that place, he came to a cave and spent the night there, Elijah's Cave. Actually, I went on a site, a promotional site about Israel, said things to do in Israel, and one of them is Elijah's Cave. So I went on there and checked it out, and it's a cave on Mount Carmel uh, near Haifa in northeast India, India, India-Israel. And in the northeast corner. And uh, it's far from where Elijah was at this time. Because Elijah was in the southern part in the desert. And so scholars don't believe, modern scholars don't believe that was the cave of Elijah. But the cave of Elijah is associated with Mount Horeb. Remember we read that they came to a Mount to Mount Horeb, and this is where the, um, the, uh, the rest of the drama takes place and the cave is. Well, I, I put this little map up. It comes from Wikipedia, and it shows you the, I counted, nine different places that are claimed to be Mount Sinai. Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. It's another name for Mount Sinai, where the law came to Moses. And there are all these different places that claim to be Mount Sinai, which is where Elijah's cave would be. Okay, So if you want to visit it, you, you have to get a visa to Egypt to visit the one in the south. The one on the east is actually in Iran, and you can't really get to it except by special permission. And then some of the other sites are in Syria, modern Syria. None of them in Israel itself. So the cave of Elijah is mysterious as to its location. Where the cave is is where Mount Sinai was. It's a holy site, if we could find it, to Jews and Christians and Muslims. But maybe... God doesn't want us to find it because then we'd make it a super holy site. We're going to continue reading in verse 9. At the, that place he came to a cave and spent the nice night there. And then the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? That's our question. What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, here's his classic answer. I have been busy. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, has thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Now will you let me go to sleep? (laughs) I found a picture of Elijah in the cave which uh, is by some modern uh, painter but it it kind of fascinated me because it's a bit surreal and uh, mystical and that's the way I feel about this place that Elijah was what are you doing here Elijah that's what God said and the wording of that if you put your Hebrew mindset on now, it it emphasizes two words, the word you and here, which is kind of interesting. What are you doing here? Which implies you ought to be somewhere else. The emphasis on you is completed by the actual mention of Elijah's name. So what are you, Elijah, doing in this location? There's something incongruous about your being here at this time. We'll continue reading in verse 11. He said, "Go out and stand by the mountain, on the mountain before the Lord, and the Lord is about to pass by." Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains, breaking rocks and pieces before the Lord. Now it's a wind but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. I'm not sure we have the right text up there, do we? I think we have chapter 18. It's my mistake. I got chapter 18 instead of chapter 19. Just bear with me. This final thing that he experienced was not a fire, not an earthquake, not a great wind, but something very subtle. And it's described here as a still small voice. In some translations, it's uh, described as a gentle whisper or a hissing of wind as if softly breathing or a whistle of gentle air. These are ways of trying to express a subtle Hebrew phrase, which may be best expressed by Paul Simon, in his famous song, The Sound of Silence. I think he might have had that in mind. He said, hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping and the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. Something spoke to Elijah that got through to him. Now, after that, and if I have the wrong chapter up here, it's my apology, but you can pull the Pew Bible out and get the reading in chapter 19. Verses 9 and 10, we read, the word came, the question came, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then his explanation that I have been very zealous for the Lord and I am alone am left verses 9 and 10 now look at verse 13 and 14 those of you who have a bible up 9 and 10 13 and 14 they are exactly the same surrounding the the earthquake wind of fire and the still small voice and it is totally repeated that I am alone all of these forces are against me I have been zealous for you why is that repeated twice? It, it's puzzling to scholars some believe that there were two uh, textual trans- translations and they came together here and sc- the copyists didn't know what to do with it so they just copied it twice Uh, the Septuagint which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament for about 250 years before Christ they ran into the same problem why is this repeated and so in the second episode they said tomorrow he did this so they make it a double event that happens uh, twice to Elijah to make the point I don't know the reason but the fact that it's come down to our us and our bible back to back twice what are you doing here Elijah and Elijah's answer oh I've been busy working for you I've 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 fought the prophets and I'm alone that he actually went through all of that twice the bottom line is God really wanted this message to come home. What are you doing here in your cave, Elijah? In your safe place, Elijah? When I still have work for you to do. When I still have work for you to do. I'm not done. I'm not done using you. That's the bottom line. I'm not done using you. Or you, or you. Put your name in there. What are you doing in your cave of escape when I am not done using you? It's very personal when you put your name in place of Elijah's name. Now, here's the interesting thing. I began to think about what are our caves that we escape to. And and most of our caves are fairly innocent. They're not bad things or good things. Now, some of them uh, may be a real problem. For instance, what about the cave of addiction? And we should be on the image The cave of addiction to alcohol or drugs. That's obvious. It's an escape, it's a cave, it's a place to not answer the Lord's call. Or other kinds of addiction like gambling, which can be fun until it's not. Or here's a cave, this is innocent. This is your telephone. (laughs) Now, we don't think of that as an addiction, do we? Or how about watching TV? Hey, that's really saved us during COVID, but it can become an addiction It can become a cave that we escape to. And then, of course, hoarding is a good thing, right? Unless you're hoarding like this guy. And when I put this picture on, Dale said it looked like my office. (laughs) Or another kind of hoarding that people escape to is the accumulation of wealth. The next image shows someone hoarding money. Yeah, he said that should be Connie if the previous one was me. (laughs) And then it could be a hobby, any hobby. An escape can become, excuse me, a, 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 a refresher, a, a, a something that gives you a, a temporary respite can become an escape, can become a cave. How about reading and entering into a fantasy world? Can that be a cave for you? Or... Superficial friendships can be a cave. Of course, this is a picture of a man's cave. We actually admit it. (laughs) And I'm just asking you to think about what has become your cave. What is your place where you feel safe and you really want to chase away God's angels and say let me sleep and ask yourself based on today's experience with Elijah what is your cave what are you doing here and put your name in now God is calling you so he offers you a fresh start he offers you a new motivation You'll hear that if you listen for the sound of silence. He offers you with the new motivation a new challenge. And he offers you some new partners to get the job done. See, sometimes we need some other friends besides the ones that we've been escaping to a cave with. Here. In your cave of escape, what's God's still small voice, his gentle whisper, the sound of silence? What is he saying to you? And what are you still doing here? Lord, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for using us at all but to use us another day when we think we've done it all, when we feel like we have no more energy, no more ideas, no more gifts, no more caring to offer. We can be renewed in our cave today, Lord. Help us. Help us to be open to that. Help us to be ready for whatever that challenge is and help us to respond. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon, but if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at Alta prayer at aol.com and again as always we pray god's blessings on you this week